so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Friends are friends for how does a how does the tune go? Friends are friends forever. Yeah, that's right. See, I get the Lord's the Lord of them. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me again this week, thank you so much for gracing me with your presence, is Brent Leatherwood. Well, thank you for the invite back, Lindsay. Yes, and I will tell listeners that your wife is in the office today. The first lady. With you, Yes, we call her the first lady. <laughs> and people are going to give you not, a hard time. We do not call yes, her the first that's lady. That's just a joke. <laughs> I and I she came down here to say hi and I thought she was going to stay here and I told her I'm I'm glad to find out you're not staying in the studio because then I feel like I won't be able to be as mean to Brent as I normally am uh, on the podcast because I'd have mean. some accountability so Yeah, you're not mean. Well, snarky, razzy. Some sure. people don't like that yeah. sarcasm language and it feels mean to them. So You know what? I'm in a great mood today. I know you are. You know what's happening in less than 48 hours? Tennessee's first loss. <laughs> Tennessee is uh-huh. welcoming in the Alabama Crimson Tide. So it's in Knoxville. It is in Knoxville. But y'all are I am excited. Oh, but there's their quarterback is hurt, right? I don't I, whether he's hurt or not, put it this way. This is in the last decade. Yeah. Tennessee's your best chance. Best chance right. to beat Alabama. So and now I will say this. Tennessee has the most all-time wins against Alabama. I, I think people out there oh, somehow really? don't realize, they think Auburn with its new rivalry with Alabama somehow has, no, 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 no. The, the rivalry that is the SEC, mm-hmm. it, the essential SEC rivalry is Tennessee-Alabama. And I can't wait for this. Now, I, I was texting with a pastor, he, he will remain nameless, but let's just say he he pastors like he's a Crimson Tide fan. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll just we'll just put it like that. And, you know, he was like, you don't seriously think Tennessee is going to actually be. And I'm like, yes, 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 I do. Actually, I do think that Tennessee is going to be. Now, will they? Eh, Maybe not. But I I just I feel like in this moment, I'm just going to soak this in because it is Tennessee's best chance. Okay, so if Tennessee loses. Yeah. Will you be a little bit depressed, do you think? Or you no, will just be... No, because I'm... Your I, expectations will have been met. I no longer let what 18-year-olds do on a football field on a <laughs> random Saturday afternoon control my my feelings. You know, it wasn't that there long was a ago. Time there was a time yes. where they, they... I definitely let them have that uh-huh. power. But I'm just enjoying this ahead of time. However, if they win, I think you'll let them control your emotions because how... Well, Put it this Pumped way, I am, I am calling, I'm probably calling that pastor back that was yeah. texting me and, and we're, we're going, we're going to have us a little chat. What will you do if they win? Like in your home, will you jump up and down and scream? Oh my or? gosh. Yeah. No, because the kids have kind of Taken come to on accept, this love well, or? no, they, they've just kind of come to accept this. Like, 
Daddy, UT doesn't really ever beat Alabama. Okay. And I want to tell, no, there was a time mm-hmm. where like basically every year for a decade that Tennessee beat Alabama. And they think that that's like the time before times. Like they don't okay. know what that really means. What time is that game? It's at two uh, three thirty Eastern, two thirty Central. You know what's disappointing is that this can't be the game day game, right? Because they already game day already came to UT. No, that's the thing. They're back. <gasps> they're back. Two weeks later, oh. they're back from because they were there for the Florida game and they came yeah, back. Don't remind me about that. Oh man, yeah, yeah. So okay, that is ex- yeah. So are you going to the I, at least game day? Or? I I have thought about it, but yeah. I actually just went down to. LSU. Louisiana mm-hmm. for the Tennessee LSU game and mm-hmm. got to see that in person. And so I probably need to, I, I need to stay home and just okay. watch it there. But it would be fun to take your kids to the, just the game day. It would be jam packed. No, it's going to be jam packed. Yeah. So uh, there's just, so anyways. That's kind of not fun. Anyway. I'm well, excited. Well, Obviously, I think you can feel it. It's probably coming through the microphone. You, you are in a very good mood today. So yeah. And we'll see. I, okay. I know we have a number of folks in our audience that are that are Alabama fans. Yes. They, they pastor down in Alabama. And I would just say to that, uh, sanctification is a long process. Right. And so. Right. And you know, a little little humility will be, <laughs> will go a long way. So. <laughs> the point is, is that the Alabama-Tennessee game for the last 15 years has been such a humbling experience. This for is Tennessee. the best time. No, this is the No, no, best. no. I'm talking about Alabama's humility. These Alabama fans, not, not Tennessee. Well, yes, you're right. So at least I hope it's a good game. I don't really want to be cheering for UT. I don't want to be cheering. I'm definitely not cheering for Alabama, but I am cheering for a good game. So Me we'll too. see. We'll Me see too. what happens. I probably will not want to talk about it next week. And I I'm want you honest. to be in a good mood. Yeah. Next week, I, if they lose, I probably won't be in a great mood. We won't be talking about it. But I thought you just said 18-year-olds don't control your emotions exactly. anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to have to work on that. Well, let's get started with what's happening lately and what the ERLC has been talking about, things that actually matter mm. in the scheme of things. <laughs> the first resource I want to mention is by Joe Carter, and it's titled Combating Confusion in Society's Language About Gender and Sexuality, a Glossary of the Ever-Changing Terms Used in the Sexual Revolution. And October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so we wanted to provide resources for pastors and ministry leaders to be able to use in real-time ministry settings. And we wanted to provide some resources that were just easily accessible. So this one by Joe It's a rundown of common terms used regarding gender and sexuality in today's age. And it's important to note that we are not advocating the usage of these terms per se. What we are advocating is being able to grasp what those that we interact with in the world and in our communities mean by the words and the language they are using and subscribing to. So I will sum up what Joe says here. He says, to help provide some clarification and context, I've provided definitions for 31 terms commonly used by the gender identity movement, which is just crazy, bonkers, by the way. 31 terms that we're trying to keep track of here. So as you can see, it's helpful to have them in one place and to have them spelled out so that when you are interacting with people, you can know, say, oh, I know what they're talking about here. And Joe goes on to say, this glossary is designed to help you better understand the radical and ever-expanding language used to describe elements of the sexual and gender revolution. In order to effectively minister to those in our communities, it is helpful to grasp the terms used by the wider culture. 
Our goal, and this is important, is to understand so that we might proclaim God's good design reflected in the biblical sexual ethic that brings flourishing and the gospel that brings hope and reconciliation. And that is our goal with sharing this, that you would be able to interact with your neighbors and be able to understand where they're coming from and thereby sharing the truth as the Spirit allows and then being able to proclaim the good news of the gospel. The second resource that I wanted to share with you for Pastor Appreciation Month is by the ERLC staff, and it's titled, A Biblical Resource for Pastors on Gender and Sexuality. So what we did was put together a brief theological framework of sex and gender. We put together a section about the importance of bylaws and making sure that your bylaws are properly updated so that your church will be protected and that you can effectively minister faithfully to people in light of God's Word and what God's Word teaches us. And that is a part of a resource that we worked on years ago with the Alliance Defending Freedom. And then we put together a section on resources of articles, books, and different podcasts and videos that are quick go-tos for you when you, you, so you don't have to go searching around our site, but you can say, hey, I need some resources on gender, sexuality, transgenderism. I need some trusted resources, some books. And so we've put those together for you. And we will also produce some PDFs of these different sections so that you as pastors or ministry leaders can download these and you can print them out and you can have them available for church members who prefer to have a piece of paper and highlight and do all that. But we just wanted to serve you and also tell you that this is just a preview of future resources on issues like transgenderism and gender and sexuality. So as we develop those, we will be sure to let you know about them. So Lindsay, you mentioned that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I have been talking to quite a few pastors uh, recently. As a matter of fact, over the last month, since I was named president of the URLC by our board of trustees, I've actually tried to spend these first few weeks calling pastors and ministry leaders around our convention of churches, mainly just to say, hey, we are here to serve you and uh, the folks that are in your pews that sacrificially give to the cooperative program. And as I've had those conversations, I've said, hey, tell me what it is that you're dealing with at your church, what it is that you're seeing out there, what it is that is causing you to spend a lot of time and thought and ministry effort in doing. And I have been surprised that one of the reoccurring things that has come up has been, how do we deal with transgenderism and the real or perceived threats that, that may come from that? And uh, because a lot of pastors, they, they want to proclaim the word and they want to shepherd their people and they want to do it in a way that is consistent with biblical principles. And some of the questions that are being surfaced out of the sexual revolution and out of transgenderism, like they're pretty complex. And they've just said, hey, any resources that y'all can provide, uh, we would love it. And so that's this. These two resources uh, right here are meant to be pieces that a pastor can either read and it just help confirm for him like, hey, all right, so I'm, I'm doing this well. Or, hey, we need to take some steps uh, within our church documents to make sure that, that we are strengthened for this. Or, hey, like, wow, I'm, I'm really in the midst of ministering here. And there are some terms that are being thrown around that I'm not completely familiar with. Hopefully, 
this will help. But that's the heart behind this. We want to serve our pastors and, and serve our churches. And we're going to produce more resources uh, just like this. So uh, if you find this helpful, or if you have ways as a pastor, as a ministry leader, if you have ways or issues you think that we can be serving you on, like please let us know. But I'm really thankful that we did this. And uh, I, I hope pastors see our heart of appreciation and gratitude for them because ministry can be so challenging. Well, I'm glad that you're talking to pastors and finding out what is on their hearts and the challenges that they're facing. Because like you said, we want to be able to provide resources that can educate and equip the church to be able to deal with these issues. And once again, I just want to mention, we will have more resources coming down the pike as we continue to work on these. We just want to be faithful in developing them and we want to be thorough. As I mentioned time and time again, uh, we have a lot of other resources on our site this week. And I mention it because it's important. I think it's important. So I'd encourage you to go check them out. But for now, Brent, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Next up is our culture section. Brent, why don't you let us know what matters this week besides Tennessee football? All right, well, Lindsay, I think we need to start with a, a big cultural moment that happened because millions of people saw it. And that was SBC President Bart Barber's appearance on 60 Minutes. The, I, I want to say it's the, isn't the nation's longest running television news program? I think, uh, maybe wrong on that. I'll fact check. But either way, 60 Minutes is appointment television for many Americans. And Bart Barber was asked to come on. He was interviewed by Anderson Cooper. And it was a pretty wide-ranging interview. It covered things such as the SBC's response to uh, sexual abuse, the cultural moment that we're in, the political environment. And I have to be honest, I think that Dr. Barber did just a phenomenal job. That, that is a hard uh, interview. Uh, this isn't some, you know, three-minute, six-minute segment. He spent the better part of a day with Anderson Cooper and the CBS News film crew. And I think he he represented Baptists in just a great way. Yes, I agree. I watched the clip and I thought he did a fabulous job. I think it highlighted how Southern Baptists got it right when they voted for Barber for president. And I'm so thankful that he is the man of the hour. Of course, the Lord is the one using him. You could just tell that he he just doesn't seem pretentious at all. Just mm. a humble man pastoring a 300-plus person congregation, taking care of his cows, and loving the Lord. And I just, I love that about him. Just so you know, I fact-checked for you. Mm -hmm. sixty According to Britannica.com, yep. 60 Minutes is television's longest continually running primetime series. Well, there you go. So, That's great. The other thing about that, uh, one of Bart's interview, one of our former colleagues shared on Twitter and pulled back the curtain a little bit to what a 60 Minutes interview looks like and all the complexities and, and also how well that they do their job as journalists on 60 Minutes and producers and all the fact-checking. And the other thing about Bart in his interview, you know, they have to cut and cut and paste and all that. And so there are lots of things that they probably covered that they didn't include. But Bart's interacting with Anderson Cooper about issues that they have some pretty strong disagreements about and convictions about. And so being able to talk, to speak the truth in love and with in respect and gentleness, like Paul talks about, 
I just pray that the Lord would use that as an open door in not just Anderson Cooper's life, but many other people's lives as well. So kudos to Bart Barber. Thank you, Lord, for giving him the grace to do that well. Absolutely. He got a lot of accolades from SBC leaders, and we communicated that to Baptist Press and the Biblical Recorder, the North Carolina Baptist State Paper. They ran that story, and so that's what I'm quoting from now. And I'm, I'm actually just going to say my quote uh, that I mentioned about Bart because I, I think it was it, well, it communicated exactly how I felt. Not only did Bart Barber display his heart to serve our churches and his commitment to Baptist principles, he gave millions the opportunity to hear about the heart of Jesus. And that's what came across in, in all of his answers and on those uh, very tough subjects. He was firm in his conviction, but he enunciated his convictions in such a way that it invited people to know more about the Jesus that he is proclaiming. And that's <laughs> whatever the subject is, whatever the platform is, I would hope that anyone whether you are a church discipleship minister, whether you're an entity head, whether you are a Christian and you get invited to participate in one of those man-on-the-sidewalk interviews, I would hope that that would be the goal, that at the end of the interview, you've actually invited people uh, to know more about Jesus. Uh, gosh, what a, what a great ministry opportunity. Uh, Willie McLaurin, who is the interim president for the SBC Executive Committee, said this, I was thankful that President Barber had the opportunity to represent Southern Baptists on this global platform. His passion, conviction, and authenticity were on display for the world to see. And then Marshall Blaylock, who's the pastor of First Baptist Charleston, said he especially appreciated Barber's intense and heartfelt response about addressing sexual abuse and the need for reform. Uh, we've got it linked in the show notes in case maybe you didn't uh, watch it on 60 Minutes. But it's about a 13-minute segment, and it is well worth your time if you are a member of the SBC. The next story comes to us from NBC News, and it is about uh, the verdict that was reached in the Alex Jones case. NBC News says it like this, Alex Jones must pay $965 million in damages to families of eight Sandy Hook victims. And from the story, it says this, the conspiracy theorist Alex Jones must pay $965 million to the families of eight Sandy Hook shooting victims and an FBI agent who responded to the attack for the suffering he caused them by spreading lies on his platforms about the 2012 massacre a Connecticut jury found on Wednesday. Jones faced liability for defamation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and violations of the State Unfair Trade Practices Act for creating a fake narrative that the mass shooting was a hoax. The families claimed Jones profited off the lies while they were harassed and abused by those who believed him. Uh, in the wake of this jury returning back with this verdict, uh, there's been a number of voices online who have said, oh, this is, you know, violating Alex Jones' free speech rights. This, someone said, and I can't remember who now, said this is an instance of, quote unquote, the regime coming after Alex Jones. Y'all, that's not what this is. This is not Alex Jones' free speech rights being overruled. This is about Alex Jones, who it's said in this story is a conspiracy theorist. I mean, that's what he is a fabulist. He just creates things and gets his audience revved up 
it's almost like wrestling, like WWE wrestling. It's fake. There is nothing real behind what Alex Jones just spews out into the public square. But there are a number of people out there who do believe it. And he said heinous things about these families and just calling that atrocity uh, that cost so many lives of so many innocent children. He was sued for that. And now uh, we see the result of it. I mean, he's going to have to pay nearly a billion dollars in damages. And this is not about free speech. And certainly I think as Christians, it's a reminder. We need to be discerning about the voices out there that we are listening to and not falling prey to these sorts of schemes. I mean, that's what it is. He's trying to get people to listen, to click, to buy the things that he would uh, hawk on on his program. This is not uh, about speech. And so that's, uh, that's what happened here uh, in this case. So Brent, if you were talking to a family member who you love and who say was a good faith actor and does not agree with what Mr. Jones was saying, but sees this as an example of how free speech is being trampled upon and is fearful about that and maybe is listening to some voices on social media about that. How would you explain to them and show them briefly that, no, this is not an example of free speech being violated? Well, right. I, a, you need to have a couple of categories here. Uh, free speech deals with individuals who are speaking out and it is not an unlimited right it does have certain parameters. And, and so in that sense, I, I think people somehow think like, oh, you could just say whatever you want and get away with it. Uh, no, that's actually not the case. That crosses uh, a way, that, that crosses a line from, you know, just speaking out, speaking your mind on something and crosses into defamation and abuse. And, and so he very clearly crossed that line. And for those individuals who think, oh, you know, this is the regime, this is the government coming after him, no, that, that's actually not what this was. This was, in fact, a jury of his peers. That is, just by definition, not the regime. This is folks from around you in your community saying what you did crossed a major line and caused harm to these people, and they are owed uh, damages to be made whole uh, because of your conduct. That, that's what happened here. So, yeah, no, I, this is not about free speech. This is about someone who has caused immense damage and our justice system took a look at it and independently said he crossed lines with his conduct and there are consequences for that. Okay, and our last story comes to us from Baptist Press. Southern Baptist leaders call on the Veterans Affairs Department to repeal abortion rule. So, from the story, the Biden administration should rescind its new rule that provides abortions in certain cases for military veterans and family members, even in states with prohibitions on such procedures, the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission said in public comments filed Tuesday. The RLC expressed its opposition to a new interim final rule issued by the Department of Veteran Affairs that explicitly lifts a 30-year-old restriction on abortions. The Southern Baptist entity told VA Secretary Dennis McDonough the interim rule forces taxpayers to fund the taking of preborn human lives, disregards a congressional ban on abortions by the department, and violates the religious freedom of healthcare workers. One of our teammates, Hannah Daniel, up in Washington, D.C., said this 
It is the role of our government to protect the lives of its citizens, not fund or perpetrate the taking of innocent life. Yet that is what the VA proposes to do here. So you may remember last week we filed comments on a a proposed rule for the Health and Human Services Department. This is the same kind of process that government is wanting to do something and it's putting it out there for feedback. And so we filed official comments in opposition to this rule. And again, just like we said last week, we are certainly interested in what the government will respond to what we have to say, because A, they are proposing to use taxpayer resources in a way that we think is is just totally unconstitutional and unacceptable. And B, uh, they are going to overrule the conscience protections of many healthcare workers out there that are in the VA system. And so that is why we filed these comments. They are official comments uh, that reflect our thinking as a SBC entity. And uh, this is a unique way that we carry out our ministry assignment that the SBC has given us. So help me understand, would this be something that normally would be violating the Hyde Amendment that we've done so much work on that doesn't the Hyde Amendment prohibit taxpayer dollars going toward funding abortions? Yeah, so there is a part of it that that even more directly, there's actually a procedural requirement within the VA rules itself that says it can't do that. And it's violating that. And so I think that's the the better thing to hold on to is, hey, you have something that is active. The Hyde Amendment is something that is put into spending bills each year. It is a congressional requirement. This is something that is already in their operating procedures. And so we tethered our objections to that. And, you know, the reality is this is uh, the latest attempt by the Biden administration to just respond to the Dobbs ruling. They are trying to uh, head that off and increase access to abortion and in many ways in, in places that are just completely inappropriate. So this is an interim final rule. What has to happen for this to be a final rule, if that was the case? Which, of course, we hope that it does not become a final rule, which is why we made those comments. So to answer your question, actually, the VA feels that it can take this move because of the Dobbs decision. It's basically doing so on an emergency basis. So the interim final rule, it's, it's actually in effect. Uh, we are asking them to rescind it. So unlike last week, which was a proposed rule, this is something that is currently in effect. The proposed rule last week is not yet in effect. And they are saying we had to do this because of the Dobbs decision. We're in an emergency healthcare situation, and therefore we're putting this on the books now. We're inviting comments, but this is currently in effect. And we're saying this needs to be rescinded. And in doing so, because they did it, we don't obviously, from the ERLC's perspective, feel that this is an emergency situation. As a matter of fact, we would contend that they are creating uh, the emergency situation. And part of the feedback that the VA has received from a number of groups out there is actually they have violated something that's called the APA, the Administrative Procedure Act, by not making a proposed rule first. So I realize we're kind of getting a little in the weeds here. Right. But needless to say, just like last week, we said they should withdraw this proposed rule. This week, we're saying they should rescind this interim final rule. So that's where you have it. Clear as mud. No, thank you. I know it's procedural stuff. That's it is. It's all procedural stuff, but it is important because Mm -hmm. these are policies that are governing the conduct of our federal government and Mm -hmm. agencies, et cetera. And they affect lives. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Literal lives. 
I'm glad we've put forward comments. And of course, we will continue to keep our audience updated um, should there be any changes, which we do pray that there would be. So this final story I wanted to bring up because we always end on... we Well, we try to end on a fun thing at the end. So this is about old emojis. So Brent, you know what emojis are? You know those yes, emojis? I'm giving you a thumbs we down love, now for yes, doing this. Yes. yes, we love emojis. But apparently... There are some youngins out there who want to tell some of us that some of the emojis that we use make us look old. Now, we've waded these waters before because, what was it clothes that you wear or something like that, that there was an article about that youngins were telling us older people, when you if, if you wear this, you look old or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. But these are some of the top 10 emojis. You tell me if you use these. Do you use emojis, Brent? Not really. Not really? I use the siren one. Okay, well, I'll tell you if I use these. Thumbs up makes you look old. I'm sorry, I'm not giving that up. A red love heart, yes, I use that. An okay hand, I sometimes use that. A tick, which I didn't know at first what that was. It's a check mark. I don't really oh. use that. Do you I use the check mark? I don't use that. Okay, I guess what you should be telling me is, does your wife use these? Not really. So the poo emoji. No. So not even sure if we're allowed to talk about that on on this podcast, but nevertheless, a loudly crying face. I do use that one. Mm. It's like with the tears coming out the side of the eyes. Mm. Monkey eye cover. Mm -hmm. I'll use that. Clapping hands. Mm -hmm. Not as much for me. Lipstick kiss mark. Mm -mm. I don't no, really use that. No, no, no. A grimacing face. I do, I do use, use that one. Yes. I do use the grimace yeah. one. So, yeah. So if you use those, then you are old. And According to this article from... Well, this is Daily Mail. Daily Mail. But there's These are UK friends. Yes. And there is another article that was shared too. Did you not see it? You double posted in Slack about no. these old emojis. Oh, I did? Uh-huh. Oh, I did yep. that? Oh. No, it wasn't in, it was in a different channel. Anyway. No. So you've been warned, if you want to look like the young crowd, stop using some of these emojis. I, for one, one of the best things about getting older is that you care less about what is considered old. So this would be an instance where I don't care if I look old based on the emojis I'm using. I'm going to continue to use them by golly. Thumbs up, grimace face, laughy crying, poo. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm -hmm.